Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Racing Mentor Sponsorship Podcast. For something a little bit different for you today, um, I've given Toby the week off, and instead we have a special guest, Davin Sturdivant. Hi, Davin, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jess. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Buzzing for this uh, week ahead. I must say that every time. (laughs) (laughs) It's Happy Monday, so what are you going to do? Exactly, exactly. So today we're going to be talking about kind of the differences between the UK motorsports scene and the US motorsports scene. Um, But I'd love for for those who don't know you, if you could just give yourself a little introduction and tell people kind of who you are and, and what you race and all of that kind of fun stuff. Sure. Um, so I'm Devin Sturdivant. Um, I guess I'm primarily known as a competition kart racer based out of Seattle, Washington. Um, I started actually in autocross, solo two autocross, which is a kind of a timed event in cones and cars. And then I moved to competition go-karts as I wanted to do more wheel-to-wheel racing. I guess my, my background has been largely getting grassroots racers into karting through my platform called Kart Pulse. And so, you know, we, we built that about seven or eight years ago. Um, to help bring more people kind of into the sport and get them more seat time, especially if they were um, trying to get into cars, but the budget was too challenging or they wanted additional seat time to kind of augment their car racing um, and also competition karting is just a lot of fun. So um, I built up a bit of a following in there and built a community space in there and got connected to three vicariously through that. Here we are. Awesome. So let's talk about what the motorsport ladder looks like in the US because over here, I feel like, wherever you want to go usually people are aiming for like Le Mans or uh, Formula One maybe or British touring cars there's actually like a a really diverse like range of routes that you could take to get to any of those maybe Mm -hmm. Formula One's a bit more linear Um, but still you know you could go the karting route the car route the single seater route um, and and jump all over the place between sprints endurance all sorts of stuff so I I think Mm -hmm. in the, the UK there's not the same kind of clear ladder to the top as there once was, you know, back in, you hear all those stories like of old school F1 drivers having like a really clear, simple route to Formula One. I think it's yeah, very different now. What, what's it, what's it like over there? Or what's your experience been of that? Well, so the, the plus side is that the U S is big. And so there's a lot of places that we can go racing, but the downside is the U S is big. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a lot of places where you can go racing. Um, I, I would say that one of the challenges of racing in the United States is that because we are such a large just geographical space, there are lots of different series and there are lots of different routes to um, kind of make your progression depending on where, they, where you want to go. Like whether it's karting or whether it's endurance racing or whether it's sports car racing or stock car racing or, you know, open wheel or whatnot. I think the big delineating factor for most folks is going to be whether you're trying to build a what I'd call like an amateur career or whether you're trying to build a professional career because if you're trying to build a amateur career you have a very broad range of places you can just go and get seat time and if you're trying to build a professional career I would say that the latter is a little bit more focused but it's still a bit of a jump from space to space to space to space yeah I, I would say I guess it's kind of similar here like I think amateur racing club racing here is you just got so much choice of like what do you want to drive what kind of racing do you want to do do you want to go rallying do you want to do drifting there's like so much great choice out there and I guess that can be a little overwhelming for people and I know that 
we have actually kind of talked about this at length, but I think it's relevant here is what kind of advice do you have for anyone that kind of wants to just get started in motorsport? Like, you know, who should they talk to? What should they be looking at when they've got all yeah. of these options available to them? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, I'm going to give this as pre-COVID advice, but I guess I can also switch it to a digital you know, mm. form of advice in the same way. Um, so the first thing I've always told people is find the nearest racetrack and just go. Like before you try to wait and get a car or before you just try to save a bunch of, mon bunch of money up, um, go and see some events or go to practice days and try to um, kind of get a sense of the space that you might be interested in. Um, or, or on the flip side, not interested in. So for example, I, I started in karting and kind of pavement style racing, like tarmac racing, because I went into a bunch of rallies and other, a bunch of other types of events as just a spectator and like, you know, met drivers and such. And I just didn't get the vibe that I wanted to really do it where mm. when I got into competition karting and I got into some of the sports car stuff, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is more my jam. And so then I could start asking questions from people who are farther ahead than me, where I could be like, you know, how much does this cost? Um, where did you go to get your license? Um, where do you buy a vehicle? Um, and kind of start asking those preliminary questions before I spent any money. So then I could decide where and when I could be involved because in some cases it's more of a matter of like, oh, I can afford to buy this. I'm just going to get a cart and start racing. And other places it's like, oh, well, that might be a little bit too much of a stretch for me right now to just, you know, throw the money in. But maybe I can volunteer or maybe I can, you know, uh, augment some of your stuff. Like I can help work on tires and be a mechanic or move stuff for a little while and figure out how to get my own way or find a car that's more affordable. Fill in the blank. Right. I guess post COVID, I kind of say the same thing, but I'd say, you know, find, either Facebook groups or like, you know, with Cart Pulse, we have the Cart Pulse forums or find like established forum places where you can ask those same questions and just be comfortable being open about where you are and say, you know, hi, I'm Davin and I'm new to the space and I would like to learn about what you're doing. And you will find a plethora of people who are happy to talk about the racing that they're doing. And they'll be able to help you kind of figure out where to get started. And I think as long as you come in with very little ego, it's easy to make progression. The, the people who are frustrating are the ones that are like, oh, well, I'm just going to jump into the hardest thing I can possibly find when I have no idea what I'm doing. And it should be easy when everyone else who has experience is like, oh, wait, you might want to slow down. But um, yeah, that's what I'd say is just start by asking questions first before you think about starting to drive. And that way you'll get more of confidence of where you want to start driving. Yeah, totally agree. And um, that, that's exactly the kind of advice that I give to people. And, you know, there, there are so many great places out there like Carpulse, like in the UK, the Club Racing UK forum or, or like group on uh, Facebook is really valuable. And I see a lot of drivers going in there going, well, where do I start? I want to do this, this and this. But you, you're totally right about the ego thing. I think it makes so much sense just to get some seat time. So whether you do that in karting or, you know, even, even just like going down to your local kart track and doing a couple of hours with your mates, um, mm -hmm. it's such a good way, not only just to have a ton of fun, but just to kind of learn a bit more about what the racing feels like and if you enjoy it. And then you can kind of meet people there as well. And I think that's a really good opportunity to kind of find out what else is out there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I started in indoor karting when I started karting, mostly because I didn't really know where to go for competition karting. And that was a pure coincidence, right? I was autocrossing at the time and a buddy of mine said, hey, you should come do this karting thing with me. And after a little bit of hemming and hauling, we went and started to do it. And I just had a lot of fun. And I met other people who raced other things. 
And then I could ask questions of like, hey, we just had this fun indoor race and you race sports cars or you race competition cars. Like, where is this? When's your next race? Can I go and watch it? Like, tell me about your race car. And then I could sort of learn my way vicariously through them. Because in some places I went, you know what? I would rather wait and get a budget before I go do this versus I could do this tomorrow. I'm going to go buy a thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let, let's talk about sponsorship. That's why we're here. I know obviously you know quite a lot about sponsorship and again this is something that we've talked about in detail but I, I feel like the the sponsorship landscape in the US compared to the UK is perceived differently like a lot of people always say to me oh it's so much easier in the US it's easy to get sponsorship and I feel like that's that's down to a couple of things but just just to kind of give anyone who's listening uh, a bit of background on how sponsorship in the UK has changed over the years, um, because this will become relevant, is back in the day, whenever that might be, uh, many, many years ago, decades ago, it always used to be about supporting young talent and, you know, giving young racers the opportunity to climb the motorsport ladder and businesses were willing to do that out of support. Things have kind of changed now with, uh, you know, with this digital world that we live in businesses don't want to spend their money just supporting people they're more likely to support charities who have big followings or um, a lot of clout in the media um so it, it's important now that racing drivers are focusing on the value that they bring and anyone who's listened to this podcast you know more than once will know that that's you know key to, to, to sponsorship <laughs> and it's all about providing that value and yes a business might want to sponsor you because they want to support your career but you need to offer something on top of that and I think it's exactly the same in the US based on conversations I've had with you Davin but I think people think it's still that old way of wanting to support a driver and that just is all that you need if you're racing in the USA mm -hmm. I think that's where that kind of like misconception comes from yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, I, I think the, the conversation around sponsorship has been a sort of peek behind the curtain, maybe in the last five or six years, especially with, you know, programs like yours and others who um, have been helpful in supporting racers figure out how to make the next step forward. So up until that point, I think a lot of people had just seen what other successful people had done and just say, oh, I'll just copy that, not realizing that they did that. 10 or 15 years ago, not now. And so now we live, like you said, in this digital age where you have, you know, uh, people who can create their own content. You have the YouTubes and the Instagrams and kind of the influencers of the world. And so businesses look at those sorts of people and say, here is an avenue for me to be able to grow my business if the person I'm working with is savvy enough to understand my business. And so, you know, we've had this conversation a bunch of times where like every weekend, there are hundreds of thousands of people who race all over. And there are thousands of people who win races every weekend. And so the fact that you just came first in your race traditionally does not provide the value to a potential sponsor that you think it does. Like the trophy is of value to you, but may not be of value to that sponsor unless their business is um, promoted by winning races. So a lot of times I see folks who, you know, they go reach out to like a coffee company or they go reach out to a meatpacking place or they go reach out to a computer place and they say, hey, I'm Davin and I want a bunch of races. And these companies will look at you and go, I don't care. 
because I sell computers or I sell coffee or I sell meat. And like, unless that person has a tie into motorsport and that gets them excited, most of them are just like, I don't care. I sell coffee. So, or, or would fill in the blank. So unless you can come to them and say, Hey, my name is Davin and I have, you know, a hundred thousand people who will look at your coffee brand if I could promote it on my channel or if I could, you know, bring it out to the racetrack or if I could whatever fill in the blank strategy you want to use, then those people become more interested because they're like, Oh, I have a marketing avenue <laughs> to sell more of my things so now let's talk more right um and i think it's a that's a step that people have largely missed because they they want it to be like it used to be and it's just not yeah absolutely and i, th I think once more drivers the world over understand that they need to start providing value to businesses i think that the easier sponsorship will seem because mm -hmm. i know a lot of people out there who don't struggle with sponsorship but that's because they just understand how to do it. And I think yep. this issue with, oh, it's difficult in this place or it's difficult in this place, or even it's difficult for this series, but not difficult for this series, is just looking at the surface thing of what other people are doing and assume that, you know, big businesses are sponsoring them just because they want to support them. Right. And they're not seeing all of that stuff that goes on behind the scenes because even, you know, it's not even just the social media and the content and things like that. It's again, stuff that you don't see. It's the networking that's happening in the background and the introductions that these drivers are making to these businesses that work with them. And it's mm -hmm. that kind of value that, that businesses are looking for. Mm -hmm, definitely. I mean, even if it's just the inherent value of being a good mediator between businesses where it's like, you know, Dev and I work with you because you can connect me to another business that can help me is just as equally as value as you directing me to customers that can provide me money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that that can be as equally as valuable if like your network can be just as strong or as useful to potential sponsors of like, oh, well, you know, Dev is the person that is the thread that ties everything together. So it's valuable to work with him because he naturally goes out on his own and ties these things together for me. I love yeah. him. Let me help him. Let's move forward. Right. The other thing I think people do is they don't really have a clear goal in mind of like what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. And so when they go and, you know, meet with a lot of these potential businesses or potential partners, they don't have like a small, medium and large or like a realistic goal for what might fit this size of business or anything else like that. They, they just go to them and they say, well, what do you think it would cost you? And that never is going to work because you make it too hard for them to say yes. Right. If you have easy, easy ways to start the relationship even if it's just you know surface level that can sometimes just be enough to get things started like i've i've built relationships with folks sometimes at first being like i love your product would it be okay if i just ran your logos on my car i don't need to ask them to do that mm -hmm. but all i'm really doing is creating a handshake of like hi my name is davin i'd like to get to know you i really would like to be like uh, an evangelist for your stuff and that sometimes is enough for people to be like, oh, interesting. And then as they start to see the work I'm doing, they're like, oh, we should, you know, let's, let's talk more about this. And then as this right opportunity starts to line itself up, then you can start to build relationships with people where people are like, oh, well, let's see what we can do to take the next step. But I always try to make it easy for them to say yes. So Absolutely. that it's not, not so much work. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you said there about relationships is really, really important. And I think this is, again, something that people fail to do. Like I, I have a, a driver at the moment, so I, I'm really, really happy just to answer any questions on social media. And it often means that a lot of drivers come to me without absorbing a lot of the racing mentor teachings. So I have right. to start at this really base level with them. But I've got one 
driver who who came to me recently and said hey can I send you a pitch email that I want to send to someone I said yeah sure go for it um and I, I basically said to him it's it's an okay pitch email here's some advice and some further reading but actually what you need to do is build a relationship first and his his subsequent messages really kind of made it clear that he didn't understand why he was doing this mm-hmm. um so like I, I think it's really important for for drivers to understand that relationship building is just as much a part of the process and just as important as actually pitching and trying to make the sale because we buy from people that we like I'm never going to, you know, give a lot of money to someone who has just emailed me out of the blue saying, hey, there's some value here. Right. I want to, you know, like the person because actually if you're going to be a brand ambassador for a business, it's likely that you're going to be working quite closely with the decision maker or someone in the business. And if they don't like you, it's going to be a horrible (laughs) relationship. Um, Yeah. And and actually one that would never even get off the ground. So I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, what you said there is really, really important. And I just kind of want to hammer home the point to to those who are listening that relationship building is probably the most important part of the process. Because once you've got someone's ear, like they're going to listen to you. So even if you come up with a, a silly idea or one that doesn't provide value, they'll go, that's not for us. What else do you have? Right, exactly. Rather than that's not for us, please go away. Yeah. Right. or just ignoring um, you completely <laughs> exactly yeah totally totally I, you know one thing that i see a lot and i also sometimes have to remind myself is that these are not activities that i'm going to be able to finish in one big swing right it takes time yeah and so you know a lot of a lot of the relationships i've built that i've turned into either paid sponsorships or they've turned into you know um kind of support deals that they've turned into contingencies um have been developed over years you know, five, six, 10 years at a time sometimes, where, you know, I was just getting started doing my thing, they were getting started doing their thing, we kind of keep in touch as things are going, I might do a little thing for them, they'll do a little thing for me, da, 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 and then the stars align, all of a sudden there's a thing where they need someone to talk about racing, or they need someone to do a competition go-kart thing, or it's COVID, and they need somebody to show that they're doing racing while the off-season's happening, fill in the blank, and then Davin is right here and available. Right. Exactly. And and because we've built up that relationship over time, I've become one of the people who's on the like preferred list of folks where they're like, I already know about him. I trust him. I like him. I have all these things. And so therefore I can depend on him to deliver if I work with him. Right. And and that takes time. It's not, you know, once you've kind of built up a brand reputation, it does become a little bit easier, but it still does take time because, you know, you're you're asking people to trust trust you with their money and investment and that you will provide back more than what they brought and if if you can't do that it's a very big risk like think about it as like the money in your own wallet if if some stranger came up to you and said give me a dollar you're not just going to give to them but if a person came up to you and said give me a dollar and i promise i will give you a dollar and ten cents back you give them all your money because you just be like okay and if they can prove they can do that right you would give them all your money because you just be like, oh, okay, like once you've built up a relationship with this person and you understand what they've done, or you see them doing it with other people, you would be like, okay, I will give you this dollar, right? And then over time, it becomes more dollars, right? Um, yeah. but a lot of folks don't do that. They just want to get their money for the race season and then run away rather oh, than God, yeah. build, build a relationship up. Yeah. And I, I think there's another kind of great knock-on effect there is that even if you're building relationships with people that aren't necessarily potential sponsors or like that for some reason it doesn't work out 
they're the first people to recommend you when someone comes to them saying, oh, we need to do a marketing thing. We've got an event. They go, oh, I know someone with, you know, a car or a race car or a rally car or whatever it might be mm-hmm. to come to your event. They're, they're going to think of you. And it's always about being front of mind. And you can do that with your content, um, with how you present yourself on social media, by networking, etc. But relationship building is, is the most valuable way to do that. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing I will tie on to that is that don't tie race results with value. Mm. Because I know a lot of people who have inherent skills outside of their ability to drive that don't use them as ways to build their relationships and show what value they can bring. They're just like, well, I'm not class champion or I'm not, I didn't win any races and blah, 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 blah. And you know, it goes back to the whole coffee shop example we were talking about earlier. Those people don't care. they want to know if you can provide them value for their business and so you probably have other skills like your you know your social skills or your relationship skills or your marketing skills or something else that is the real jewel of value that you bring that just happens to then be goes on your race car after all everything is said and done like their logo ends up in your race car at the end of the day great right but um, a lot of folks miss that and so that they don't even try because they're like, oh, I'm not that fast. And I'm like, well, unless you're trying to go for Red Bull driver search, that won't matter. Mm. So don't worry. Don't worry about that. All right. Focus on bringing value to the people you're working with and that will take care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, as, as kind of an aside to that, people that do have the, all of these race wins and championships, they actually place too much um, stock in that. Mm-hmm. which means they never actually talk about the value that they'll bring. They'll be like, hey, I've won all the things, expecting mm-hmm. that to be enough. And yes, it could be a nice bonus, but actually, again, nobody cares. Um, nobody and also, it doesn't really make you stand out because with so many championships out there in the US, across Europe and all over the world, like pretty much everyone has won something at some point. Yep. yep. Um, so whether you're one of those people or you know someone who hasn't again doesn't really matter because it doesn't make you stand out anyway Mm-mm-mm. and well and if you think about it too like i've had this conversation with several people and they didn't believe me and i was like okay fine i pulled up this picture of a racing grid of like 50 racing cars and said all of these cars have some sort of sponsor relationship related to them but only one of them is going to win so there you go <laughs> right I love that. Like, it's, yeah it's not like the other 49 cars didn't bring any value <laughs> they're definitely not going to win the race so exactly. what are we here to talk about right and and mm. you know once i once i do that to folks they're like oh yeah i'm like see it wasn't that hard <laughs> but um you know i think that's the real big thing is that like we have a lot of inherent value in our ability to kind of build relationships and sell and help folks you know kind of move their business forward that if we approach these relationships from a value perspective of i'm here to bring you value It'll, it'll be easier for you to focus, right? Rather than what can you give to me? It's more, what can I bring to you? Yeah. I think it's a lot easier to kind of approach things that way. And actually like racing mentors are a really good example of this. I don't even race and we get tons of sponsors. <laughs> even looking at, you know, an actual racing driver, someone like Toby who uh, just made the decision not to, to race this year because of the whole COVID madness, um, yeah. still managed to secure sponsors because it's about him and about you know the value that he brings uh rather than about what car he's racing and how many like people see on tv which again no no one cares no one cares no one cares i mean unless unless that thing's a direct correlation to them making money they Mm. won't care right if someone comes to you and says my business is purely based on how many people see me on television well then fine then let's do that. Or how many people see me on YouTube? Fine, that's fine. But in a lot of cases, it's either an indirect benefit or it's not the real benefit. 
right? Um, mm -hmm. a, a good example, a, a good example is that somebody I'll think about, it was just thinking off the top of my head, is a driver by the name of Jackie Ding. So he races in the series called Grid Life, which is a North American-based grassroots series. It's been very popular in the last like five or six years. It's a combination of Time Attack and they have this new series called Grid Life Touring Car, which is the kind of their wheel-to-wheel -wheel series. Mm. Um, Jackie started in Formula Four. And so he did a lot of videos of him just driving around in a four car and they were neat and interesting, but like they were just of Jackie. And so, uh, right, it was a good foundation, but it didn't really build any momentum. When he mm. moved to grid life, what he ended up doing is that he ended up starting in an S2000 and then he moved to an A90 Supra. And a lot of the content of his videos changed to the types of products he was putting on his car and how they were used. And then he would drive them on the track. And he's also got an entertaining personality. And that built up momentum based off the work that he is doing so that he built a brand within grid life so that a lot of automotive aftermarket brands are working with him because they're like, hey, not only are you working on a car that is relatively new and interesting, but you also not only promote our things, but also showcase what we're doing in a way that's applicable to the people that we sell products to. So to those brands, that matters to them, right? Where if he were to try to do like, I don't know, Starbucks coffee, it wouldn't be the same because then not everyone's going to Starbucks because of Jackie, Jackie Ding. Right, but yeah. they are buying coilovers because of Jackie Ding or splitters or wings or whatever else. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have we kind of established that sponsorship doesn't really differ between the UK and the USA? No, it really doesn't. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, like both places, the majority of the people who are racing are privateers. Like ninety percent of the folks who are racing are privateers, right? Who are paying out of their own pocket. And when it comes to a bit of a sponsorship, all we're doing is building up relationships with other folks to figure out a way to provide the value, which in turn mm -hmm. compensates us in a way that we can then use for our racing. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of times, like when I work with folks, what I'll tell them is, you know, we can, we can do this one of two ways, quote unquote, you know, either I can do some work for you and you can pay me and that money will invariably go to my race program or I can be compensated by something that's directly correlated to my race program, tires or gas or whatever because i'm going to spend that money on racing anyway absolutely and so i will bring you said value and that's how i will be compensated for said value also from an income tax thing it's also kind of nice when it's a product-based thing rather than a financial thing but mm. that's he neither here nor there right like i've had some deals that were just large enough that i was like i don't want to pay tax on that so can you <laughs> just buy me stuff and yeah. then i just get this stuff that would be nice, right? Yeah. But that's an added that's an added benefit to having uh, like a um, somebody I was working with who was savvy enough for us to acknowledge what mm. we were doing. <laughs> well, see, okay, there's a difference because actually in the UK, I don't know if anyone does this, and I'm pretty sure that they don't. But anything that you get from someone that has monetary value, so it, mm -hmm. like even a company car, for example, you have to declare on tax, and it's the same for mm. any kind of like anything that you would buy if someone gives it to you. It's te technically taxable but then i am not a tax accountant i am not professional please seek professional advice neither um, am i yeah <laughs> but just uh just for people to to bear that in mind um yeah i think on big objects here it does so like if someone sent me a car yeah. or something else like that i think it does but on small objects and especially like in my race car area i think they're mm. small and two hundred dollars three hundred dollars no yeah right yeah. so i don't think that's gonna value so much but it's still it's still a relevant thing to bring up right like in Absolutely. a lot of cases a lot of cases it's more of like what's the what's the um, equivalent exchange right mm. and so let's just figure out a relationship that works best for everybody whether it's you know 
gas for my race card or whether it's money for gas for my race card. <laughs> yeah. It'll work out in the end. And actually sometimes that like the product based stuff works out better for the sponsor. So let's say you're getting two hundred dollars worth of tires, that mm. the actual cost of that might only be a hundred dollars or a hundred and fifty dollars right. to the sponsor. So they're kind of mm. getting a win win at the same time. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so uh, like I'm I really obviously talk about uh, monetary sponsorship a lot because I know that that's what a lot of people are going for, especially if they're like aiming for the higher echelons of of motorsport. But Mm -hmm. I actually think there's so much value in product-based sponsorship because like you say, if you're going to be spending the money on it anyway, you may as well just get someone to give it to you. Right, exactly, exactly. So um, I want to talk about anyone that wants to kind of come from the US to race in Europe and vice versa. Because actually okay. I know that there are a lot of people um, from the UK listening to this podcast who want to go race in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm sure there are people from, from the US who want to come race in Europe as well, um, or from any of the Americas. Um, so I, I wondered if you have any, I, I know we've obviously talked about kind of how to get into it, how, you know, go along to the tracks and find out, you know, what's right for you. But do you have any tips for anyone who is traveling from the UK to the US in non-covid times because obviously that's <laughs> impossible currently right, right. um but in a in a normal situation do you have any advice for anyone who's thinking right i want to make my racing career in the usa how do i do that is there like somewhere that they could go um to to get on that kind of professional motorsport ladder over there okay so that's a fair place to start and i think if you go from the professional ladder there's a lot of series i can kind of put to the side um there are a few there are a few that kind of blur together so i think i might start there rather than doing the easy ones Mm -hmm. um so there are places like um at the sports car club of america the sports car club of america has their amateur ladder and then they also have their pro racing ladder so series like probably world challenge and kind of other things like that where Mm -hmm. more production car based are there right um for let's say your um let's say your stock car style racing, you might get into the late model style racing, or you might go through a series called ARCA um, and kind of work your way up that ladder. Um, For open wheel, you typically will either start in the kind of FAA, F4, kind of, which is slightly tied to the SCCA kind of vicariously, or there's what's known as the Mazda Road to Indy, which Mm -hmm. was this um, kind of, if I can remember correctly, I think it was, USF 2000 Pro Mazda Indy Lights IndyCar, but don't count me on that directly. But it basically was a formula single seater formula ladder that made its way up to an IndyCar and kind of make your way up there, right? And so there are kind of various spaces you can go. I think one of the added benefits of, of coming to the States is that although there's everything I just said, <laughs> there's enough, there's enough amateur racing at a competitive enough level that if you didn't have the budget to make it into let's say an arca or make it into a road to indy or a formula four or whatnot that you could get your feet wet racing in kind of like a per region and on a very competitive amateur series and then figure out your way into something once you have a little more seat time and that's what a lot of people here in the states do Right. They say, um, rather than holding on to my money for 10 years and then trying to do this in one big swing, I'm going to try to do some, you know, uh, amateur level racing for a number of years. So just build up the comfort of being on racetracks mm-hmm. and let people kind of see what I'm doing. And then as I kind of build up the relationships and people can see that I can drive, then I'll, you know, kind of take bigger and bigger steps. And so amateur racing is a great opportunity to start to build the sponsor relationships because the budgets are lower and the barrier to entry is lower. And like, yes, it's still going to be expensive, but it's a lot easier to buy a, I don't know an RX7 to go club racing with than it will be a Formula Four to go club, mm. no, to go 
Formula 4 racing with. So you start to build up a lot of that experience of how to do a lot of the off-track skills while still racing. And then if you decide to pull the trigger on something bigger, then you already kind of have that base. Um, and that helps, you know, especially when you're moving into other people's cars and they want to know, do you have any experience racing anything prior to our expensive race car? You can be like, well, yes. And I've raced in all yeah. these tracks or I've raced sports series or I've done whatever. And people will be interested in listening to you because you won't break their things. <laughs> so yeah. that's nice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they like that. They like it when you don't crash their cars. <laughs> exactly, right? So that helps a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, actually, the advice is is pretty similar for anyone who's coming over this way. Uh, I would always say start in um, like the higher level club racing if you're looking for a professional career, because again, you can build sponsor relationships and you can get your name out there a bit. And again, we have things like, you know, F4, there's some really good, if you're into sports cars, some great like one make series, whether that's like the mini JCWs or actually any of the mini challenge series, they're really good. And there's like lots of different levels depending on budget and skill and, you know, where you want to go. But then there's like a few great Janetta series that have some clear ladders, um, a few uh, Porsche series. So, and again, it all comes down to like just coming here and absorbing it and like speaking to people who are already going through it. And yep. obviously that's really hard to do if, you know, you can't just, especially now you can't just, you know, hop across the pond to, to right. have a chat with some people at some racetracks. So, you know, getting on forums and speaking to people in the know is, is, is really, really valuable. And that's kind of something that I want to foster with Racing Mentor. And I'll, although I'm, I'm a bit of, I play a bit of hardball when it comes to the, the, the racing mental sponsorship community on Facebook. And I do kind of remove posts that are off topic. If anyone is mm. like saying, right, I am going to come and do this, you know, somewhere else in the world. Does anyone have any advice? I love posts like that. I just want people yeah. to be asking for advice rather than, you know, just posting their latest YouTube video or whatever it is mm -hmm. that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. we're here to help, even if it's not entirely sponsorship related. So just as yeah. A little yeah. note for people. I think the one thing I do like about that, though, is that it also tells people when things aren't working. Because yeah. some folks that come in think that all they can do is drop their YouTube video and leave. And then we're like, no. Yeah. So <laughs> that's really nice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but up to that point, though, so um, like one of my one of my friends who's part of the racing mentor community that I knew beforehand, James Colburn, did something similar. Um, he raced here in the States for a number of years doing a lot of like Specky 46 and some Formula Car stuff and some Pro 3 BMWs and a few other things and got pretty well in there. And I think he did some semi-pro racing over there. And then he flew to the UK or went back to the UK because he's really from there and then continued racing over there. And so he had a very good sense of kind of what both sides of the pond were like. And the nice thing was that when he went over there, because he had a lot of racing experience here, then people were comfortable with him in their race car because it wasn't just like, hey, I just came over with, you know, a big bag of money and a dream and I've never been on a racetrack before. Um, and he also didn't have any karting experience either. So he was even, even, he would have been even more on the back foot having not driven anything. Because even with my friends who race go-karts, I'll say like, if you, if you have goals to step into a race car at any point in your career, regardless of the age, you know, there is an opportunity to get into competition karting just to be on racetracks. And a lot of what you'll learn in a car, you can also learn in a cart so that when you get into a car, you have a little less to learn. You're, you're like less overwhelmed with the whole idea of being on a racetrack. You're more spatially aware of things going on. Like that's is less overwhelming for you because you weren't just sitting at home for a really, really long time. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So um, I, I just want to move on slightly and talk a bit about kind of diversity and inclusion, uh, both in the U USA and the UK, because uh, we all know that, that motorsport isn't always the most diverse place. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing there. And, um, you know, maybe if anyone is, is feeling excluded, maybe what, who, who they can speak to or what they might be able to do just to feel a bit more comfortable about moving into motorsport or climbing the ladder. Sure. Yeah, sure. So I guess I'll split this kind of into two pieces, right? So on the first half, um, as, a, as a driver of color who's been competing for a number of years, I would see myself as kind of the minority in the space that I was in, but for a number of years couldn't figure out why. Um, and, and largely it was just because we didn't have a lot of role models in our sport that would motivate other people to come join. And so just naturally people wouldn't come see motorsport as a place they could go. Like motorsport as its own inherent place was never really um, exclusive as like resistant to us joining. It was just that nobody saw anybody like them there. And so they never thought to come. And so I spent a lot of my time, and I spent a lot of my time working with especially folks of color because we have a common background saying, hey, if you're interested in racing, here's some ways you can get started. This is how you can start in go-karting. This is how you can start in cars. This is how you can start in sim racing, fill in the blank, right? Just to give them some momentum to be able to find themselves into the space because it's a little intimidating when there's nobody like you, you know? And it's something that is, um, if you've never experienced it, it's difficult to um, communicate because when you were walking to a group of people who there are lots of people like you, you're just naturally comfortable. But when you naturally stand out, until you get comfortable with standing out, it can be very uncomfortable. Mm. So um, I spent a lot of time doing that. And then about a year ago, I got connected with the Driven by Diversity group, which is a group actually based out of the UK, but they have um, intentions to kind of split throughout the UK and the US um, and working with like Lindsay Orridge and those groups um, to kind of further that message and expand that um, more, not only behind the wheel, but just throughout motorsport in general. So, you know, your the engineers and your marketing people and um, communications people and just everywhere within the sport professionally and on the grassroots level, because it's a common theme. Right. It's here's the place that I want to go that I would like to feel comfortable in and, you know, build a career or build some momentum in. And I'd like to be able to, to talk with somebody or groups of people that are like me that I can kind of empathize with and um, find some commonality with as we're making our way through the sport. And so I, you know, I raise my hand as, you know, the guy who's primarily spends my time in the grassroots space, but loves racing, saying, like, if I can help you or, you know, point you in the right direction or kind of connect you with somebody, let me help. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of a lot of the work that I found myself doing. And also in places where there is, um, if I can act as kind of a mediator between, I don't want to call it both groups because that's a little bit too diverse, like too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a little bit too black and white. Like yeah. it's, it's a little bit on the nose what I just said, but you <laughs> yeah. get my point, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you have two groups of like two groups of people where if some folks are saying, hey, we're looking for diversity and that's all I'm really looking for in this space. And then you have another group of people who are like, oh, that's not a thing. And so I try to act as a mediator between those groups where I can to be like, look, let's empathize where these people are coming from, but let's also understand why there's resistance here and see if we can come to some commonality of how we move forward in this space, because it's a very complicated, sticky, hard subject to get involved with. And so it can create yeah. a lot of friction if you're not delicate with it. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's why I spend a lot of my time doing I feel like, certainly from my point of view, a lot of people that think, you know, this whole uh, conversation around diversity within motorsport is about 
stamping out racism and sexism and homophobia and all those kind of things and, and to a point it, it, it is mm-hmm. but actually a, a wider part of it that i think a lot of people who are in majority groups don't see is is exactly what you say about seeing role models mm-hmm. and i think it's really important for any minority group to to see those role models in the paddock and like mm-hmm. my experience of motorsport was well i clearly have to go into the media because i'm a woman <laughs> Right. And, I, and I never I never wanted to be you know a racing driver or anything like that but I knew that I wanted to be in motorsport and media seemed like the obvious route and then mm. the more I got into it the more I was like no no business <laughs> business mm-hmm. is what I do that makes sense for me but mm-hmm. it, it's been kind of intimidating because you know there, there is almost no one doing anything like what I do in motorsport so it, it's so it's so great to see that minority groups are represented and there are things like driven by diversity and then you know on the other side of things things like racing pride who who's like giving a voice to people saying no there are other people like you out there in motorsport and i think that's so so valuable um can you do you have to hand like the the details for driven by diversity that you could kind of share with listeners just in case they are looking for to, to find out more yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so on Instagram, they are We Are Driven by Diversity. And then they have um, their Driven by Diversity website, which I believe is drivenbydiversity.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. right. Um, they also have a podcast that's there. Um, and there's also a, um, like, like there's a program that I've been helping them with. So um, shameless plug for me, I guess. Um, one, of the side, one of the side projects that I've been working on is this apparel brand with one of my sponsors, Studio Road. And so we originally came up with this Not Famous Racing Driver shirt. Um, and it was a, it's, it's a very simple shirt. It just basically says Famous Racing Driver with the word famous crossed out. Um, and the reason why we designed that shirt was we wanted to kind of create this visual platform for folks to feel more included in the sport of like, you don't have to just be a pro racing driver to be involved in the sport. You can just love it because you love it. Because there's a lot of ego involved with racing and that can kind of kill the fun for it. So we created this brand about it. Well, when I got connected with the Driven by Diversity group, we started having more conversations around specific um, niche uh, niche community areas, and we ended up creating a not female racing driver shirt, similar to this, um, similar to the same story that you were talking about, Jess, mm. about how you were entering motorsport. Because there's a lot of times where I run into a, a lot of my female colleagues that get a little frustrated when the word female is tacked on to the end of it, yeah. rather than just like they're just a racing driver. They race, I race, right? And I know, I know several women racers who are way faster than I am, right? And it's just like at the end of the day, we're all racing right mm. so we, we started to create our shirts around that so they've been also helping to promote that as well so that's been really fun nice amazing and um just before we jump into our driver of the week um where can people find you if they want to kind of follow you on social media oh okay so i try to make that easy um all my social handles are the same so it's um relaxed driver just the two words together um and you can find me on twitter and you can find me on instagram um, you can also find me on Facebook. Yeah, I think all the things. Awesome. Good stuff. So um, I'm going to, I've kind of left driver of the week down to you. So um, if you could kind of uh, I- introduce your nomination, um, share some social handles and give a couple of reasons why. Oh, sure. Um, so the person that I picked this week was a friend of mine, Brian Smith. Um, and Brian is actually a, a time attack driver that's based in Syracuse in New York. Um, and he competes both in the U.S. and in Canada. So he races in like the Grid Life series that I mentioned earlier, and also the Canadian Sports Car series. Um, he drives a, a Mark Seven Volkswagen GTI. 
And one of the reasons that I wanted to really promote him is that Brian is really, really good at showing not only value to his sponsors, but also giving you some insight in the work that he's doing behind the scenes and a lot of his work. So it makes it really easy for you to kind of connect and relate with him as he's kind of working his way through. Um, the other thing I like about Brian is that he is developing a streetcar. So rather than, you know, going out and just buying a really high profile race car and, you know, kind of showing off one of those, he, he shows sort of the progression of his build over time, which kind of loops you into kind of all the work that he's done, kind of getting to where he is. Um, plus also too, he's, he's very um, outspoken for a lot of the diversity groups and also community groups that we were just speaking of earlier, which I really like because I see him a lot promoting other drivers and not just himself which mm. is very rare nowadays, right? You see a lot of folks who just go around saying, look at me, I'm fast, look at me, look at me.com, where he'll go around and also say, look at this other driver who's done a great job or look at this other person who's doing this awesome initiative. You should go support them as well, which I think is amazing because we could use more of that in motorsport in general, of just people who would help other people rather than just help themselves. So that's why I picked Brian. Absolutely, thank you so much. And um, congratulations, uh, Brian. Um, what are his social handles if people wanna uh, follow him? So on Instagram, he's fun with Frozy. So it's fun with F-R-O-Z-I-E on Instagram. And then on Facebook, he's the same. So he's, cool. he's got those two. So, and he's, he's really easy to get in touch with. Like I, I met him just through one of the social groups that we were a part of where we were both talking about racing and I was just like, Hey, what did you race? And he's like, I race a Volkswagen. And I was like, I race competition go-karts. And then he's like, that's cool. And we just spent a bunch of time talking about the individual things that we race. Um, and then it just kind of built from there, but he's a really nice guy. So. Awesome. That's great. Well, I'm glad to have you with us, Brian and the, the, the rapidly growing club of uh, drivers of the week. Um, thank you so much, Davin. This has been such a, a fun chat. And, you know, I hope um, people on both sides of the pond have learned a lot from this today. Yay. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Good, good. I'm glad. So uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, if you have any questions, as always, you can message me on any of the social channels or you can post in the Racing Mental Sponsorship community on Facebook. But until next week, stay safe and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.